Thank you, Michael. You're so good. Uh, <clears throat> our brother in the back really is uh, his hero, my hero. I didn't know you were that talented that you could say thank you all that quick. Man, I want some more action on my sermons. Come up with illustrations for me. Make it work. Yeah, that's dangerous. I probably shouldn't have said that. I'm done. Dr. Ashley, would you come up and give the invitation, please? Holy mackerel. That was good. I have a couple of things to mention just uh, by way of good things that are happening. You know, you better pray that the church doesn't grow because when you're over 500, you can't make all those nice announcements like that, you know, thank yous and things like that. You just kind of have to print it and move on. But So, uh, you know, what I just said was like counterproductive. You realize that. If God wants to do that, let him do it, right? Hello. Um, Yesterday in this building, thank you, worship team, for helping our YFC, Youth for Christ. By the way, our brother um, Ray Lightcap that was here and did the depression seminar, his son is the director of the Capital District Youth for Christ. He was here yesterday. First time I've met him, if ever, I think. I met him in 2001. Thank you, dear. This is why I stay married to her. So I remember where I live, for example. So it was kind of funny. He took a selfie. I got to show, I got to show my dad that, you know, we, we met. And, uh, they had training in here. And that song that was commented on by Michael, A Generation Seeking God, uh, you know, Ryan was part of that with the worship team and was in just encouraging me how cool that was to see people wanting to make their lives available to God and be used by him, which, by the way, is normal for brothers and sisters. So that was kind of an encouraging thing. The women's tea went well yesterday, and you you, uh, deaconesses with your class downstairs. All of this stuff's happening. It's kind of fun. And may the Lord use it not just to have activity but to change us, right, and to move us ahead in the kingdom. So I just wanted to mention those ups. Um, This morning... uh, Our message is on reconciling grace. This is Palm Sunday. Everybody knows that story. It's a big celebration, but you know what Palm Sunday leads into. We're looking at the end of the week, Friday, and uh, we know that that's the point of crucifixion, the death of our Savior Jesus. The king should have been welcomed. There's an offering of the kingdom, which in the sovereignty of God, he allowed man's evil to turn away from that possibility so that he could accomplish the reconciling of the human race to a holy God. And that's what uh, Good Friday or the day of crucifixion is about. And, of course, we already know the end of the story, so we tend to be all giddy prematurely. If we could put ourselves in the shoes of those disciples, we know that for them, all of their hopes were blasted to smithereens when their Savior was put to death. And they thought it was all over and hopeless until three days later, Jesus The only one I know of, you know, I'll be doing a funeral in two days, and uh, it makes such a difference for me to know that that person had put their trust in the only one who ever came back from the dead. And I would rather trust what he says than what the newspaper often says about 
what happens on the other side of death's door. All of that by way of introduction to what I want to talk about this morning, and that is the ministry of reconciliation. So to model something that we don't do enough of around here, I want to begin by doing something kind of risky, um, maybe, I don't know what the word is. Some people would think, you're crazy to do that, but I've always walked this way. I'm more interested in what God knows is going on in my life than what everybody else thinks. And um, we're talking about reconciliation, which some of us still need. Some of us need it with God. Some of us need it with our brothers and sisters, perhaps. Some of us need it with other people. I don't know. Uh, by the end of the message, hopefully, there's something registering with you that God might be speaking to your life. But uh, Mike, where's Mike? Mike and where's Ben? You guys, we got into a discussion just before worship. You know, when I come to preach, wait a minute. When I come to preach, Ben's already cracking up. But anyway, pray for Ben. He's losing. Anyway. When I come to preach, you know, can I just, this is not designed to be an exhortation. I'm trying to illustrate. Sometimes I'm, I'm focused on what I want to present to you. This is important. Who, the, who am I? Who is any human being to stand in the gap between the living God and his people and speak for God? So many people talking. Oh, I think God this, I think. It makes me pull my hair out, and I don't have it that long either. But when I come to preach... I'm focused on that, and uh, I'm just, I'm just, this is not about us. This is about an illustration and doing something right. People come, and their issues are so important. I'm trying to prepare to preach the word of the living God to God's people, and they have to throw up all their frustrations and anger on you about something, something that's bothering them. Their important issues are more important. Let me encourage you. I'm not speaking about that happening to me today. It didn't. Okay? I'm saying today I did that to our worship team. My apologies to both of you guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. You know? So that's normal. That's the way it ought to be. That's the way it ought to be. And I use the illustration because I don't like it done to me. I don't think they like it done to them either. And by the way, you guys did a great job this morning. Don't let it go to your head. Anyway. Does that make sense? If you have issues that are weighing on you and you think that, and, you know, we always think the issue we're dealing with is the center of the universe, right? Um, wait till I'm done preaching. I've told people, I'll stay till Two in the afternoon. I might be sleeping on you, but I'll stay till two in the afternoon, you know, to walk through whatever you feel you need to process, all right? That's just an aside. I know that started on a strange note, didn't it? But that's because I stepped in it, and I had to get that right before I could preach the word of God to you with a clear conscience and know that the Holy Spirit's speaking to us. So get ready, class. Here we go. And I want to just mention that statement. Once in one of my other churches, I got up in the pulpit and I said, all right, class, take out your text and let's look in the word of God. And there was a person sitting in there who had come from a church background, religious. She was sitting there. And when she heard me say, okay, class, take out your text and let's get down to it, she said to herself, 
this is serious, apparently. (laughs) And within months, she had given her life to Jesus Christ and became part of our fellowship. It was so amazing. Just a simple comment like, get ready, class, and open your Bibles. Anybody sitting here right now going, that's me. I'll talk with you later. Okay. If you would take if your own Bible, I would like you to read this with me today. I don't want you to read it out loud with me. I'm going to let you stay seated. But I would like you, if you don't have a Bible, take the black one out of the uh, seat in front of you and turn to 1158, page 1158. If you know your way around the scripture, turn to 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. I'm going to do something a little different as we read through this passage today. I'm going to comment as we read. I'm going to just kind of running commentary about part of it. Then I'm going to break and come back to the subject at large, which is reconciling grace. This particular passage is rather doctrinally heavy, if I may put it that way. You know, if you were to read New Testament books that are heavy in doctrine, I know some of you love that, right? Some of us just love that. We There's at least one in the room somewhere, but, you know, some people love that. They're, ooh, you know what this word means? And ooh, do you, ooh you know, and they, do, they salivate, you know, I mean, they love it. And then for others of us, like, oh, that's too heavy or whatever. And, you know, it doesn't matter where you are. That's okay. It's okay. But if you're a doctrinal person, books like the book of Romans or the book of Galatians are all doctrinally heavy with the issues that are coming out in this text today, which is God's business of reconciling humanity who is sinful to God who is holy. Something that's kind of lost in our culture today. We don't even think in those terms. Like, I could actually be in trouble with God. We've kind of got the, uh, what, the buddy Jesus, right? You know, God's like, hey, you're so cool, you know, uh, wrong, don't have it right. So I want you to look with me as, as we read through the text, chapter 5, verse 14 and on. And there's an expression here right away that says, all died, and I'll explain that later on. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. All of God's people said, yeah, we took that verse itself, that one. He died for all, they that they who live, in other words, we're going to explain this, you died in Christ way back, but you're still alive. And if you are still alive and you've inherited that wonderful gift, you should no longer live for yourself, but for him who died and rose again on your behalf. We posted that on the front of our church, on the wall, to remind us every week. That's why I'm here. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. The Apostle Paul had a dim view of this person, Jesus. He was persecuting the church. He thought he was a false messiah. He had a fleshly view. There were some people in Corinth who also had a fleshly view of Jesus. They thought they had figured it out. They thought Paul was, eh, don't pay any attention to him. We're smarter than him. And Paul's saying, you're missing who this Jesus really is. 
It's a life in the spirit, not a life in your rules, he was saying to some of those false teachers. For even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him no longer that way. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, anybody recognize this one? It's a memory verse. You should have it. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, that's generic, men or women, if they are in Christ, they are new creatures. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Does everybody know that the New Testament was written in Greek, right? And Greek is a little bit more precise on its tenses than English. If I say something happened, that happened. It's past tense, whatever. It's not as detailed as what Greek is communicating. Let me just explain what it means. In this verse, when it says, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature, old things have passed away, that means that's done. The old is finished, kaput. Done, final. But the next line, old things have passed away, behold, new things have come. Yes, it happened in the past that new things have come, but the effects are still happening. It's still at work. The new has come. Happened in the past, but it's come, and it's coming. It is still at work. The new is still at work. Behold, and that's why some trans... I remember there was a translation that said, um, behold, all things are becoming new. You know, we're in that process. There's a new covenant. That's relevant, by the way, to communion. Jesus said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. The new covenant. The old covenant has been fulfilled. Now there's a new covenant, a new community, a new thing. And one day, as the book of Revelation says, behold, I'm making all things new. It'll be complete. So we'll return to this next passage later. Now all these things are from God. You're still following along with me, right? Yay! All these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Isn't that a great line? Brothers and sisters, those who are listening in, who don't know what their status is before a holy God, be reconciled to God. He's inviting you. And this wonderful verse, last comment on this passage. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He made him who knew no sin. Who's that? Jesus, sinless, the Son of God, he let the sins of mankind be imputed. This is the word, by the way, friends. Every Christian should learn about this. Imputed, right? Placed upon him, attributed to him. All the sins of man placed upon him so that when he died, the sins of man were judged on the cross that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That imputation might happen to us also, that Jesus' righteousness might be imputed to me. You've heard that expression. If you've been around Christians for a while, somebody has taught Jesus sees you in Christ. He sees the righteousness of God in the person of Christ. How can that be? I don't know. It's pretty cool, though. Oh, but we don't like it totally, do we? 
For example, let me talk about imputation for just a second. We like that the righteousness of Jesus is given to us, don't we? That's nice. We don't like that the unrighteousness of Adam was also given to us. That's not fair. That's what my great, 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 grandfather did. He, he is that, you know. Some of you, anybody here? Okay, I'm just checking. In Christ, all will be made alive. In Adam, all died. That's a whole section of Romans 5 and on talks about that. That's what this is about. Any of you ever get these um, little emails that come? Um, if you've been involved with, pick something, AOL.com, between the years of this and this, you may be party to a class action suit, and you're entitled to a whopping 75 cents of restitution because it's got to be spread to 8 million people. You know what I mean? Anybody ever get one of those? So I'm in that category. It's up to me what I want to do. Do I want to bother filling out the email junk for 75 cents or $1.95? Probably not. Now, if it was a half a million, they'd probably have my attention at that point. Okay, and, and not, not somebody writing me from, you know, Uganda with, I'm a prince and I want money. None of that. All of my people, don't fall for that, please, <laughs> ever. What's that? <laughs> all, right, all, right, all right, you're going to let my ADD take over. Don't, look, don't do that. Okay. My point is, some righteousness or money, cash or whatever, is imputed to me as a class of people. The same thing is true with sin and righteousness. Does that make sense? The sin of Adam, when he sinned, and I'm going to unpack that a little more in a few minutes, was applied to everyone that came from his loins, as the Old Testament would put it. And for all who believe, the righteousness of Christ is applied to all who are in Christ by faith. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. Let's pray together. Thank you for the gathering of your people today in freedom. Thank you that, uh, again, with the events of the last few weeks, we are grateful for safety this morning and do not take it for granted ever. We don't know when the appointed time is for us to meet our Savior face to face. It could be this afternoon. But we're grateful for the opportunity while we have life and breath to sing praises to you, to hear your word. And Lord, by your mercy and your grace and illumination, help us to walk in the truth that we learn. I pray today that um, your spirit would minister to each one in this room in whatever their situation and context is. In the great name of Jesus, we pray for the help of your Holy Spirit today. Amen. So let me go back to my opening exhortation about uh, preaching and talking to me before a sermon. Nobody did anything wrong. I was just using it as an illustration. I'm wondering how many of you are still parked there going, did I? I'm never talking to him again when I come in on Sunday. <laughs> Relax, okay? Take a chill pill. Okay. Reconciling grace, 2 Corinthians. Um, I'm going to put a picture on the screen. Anybody know who these men are? Yes. yes. Who are they? 
They're the five missionaries who in 1956 were martyred on a beach alongside a river down in Ecuador because they had on their hearts, having worked in the, um, in the jungles of Ecuador with tribes, these tribes, by the way, would fight with each other, headhunting tribes. And this one particular tribe called the Alcas, otherwise known as the Huarani or Wararani in Ecuador, were particularly hostile, and these missionaries with a missionary aviator, right, Nate, Nate Saint, would fly over this location in the jungle. Nate actually learned a creative way to spin the plane around, drop a rope down in between. I used to feed on this way back when. I don't know where my books are. We probably loaned them out, never see them again. But uh, he would he would circle and drop a bucket on a cord and it would hang right in the middle of that arc, right in the circle, and it would go down, down, down to the ground till the the uh, natives could grab at whatever goodies or gifts were in the bucket. And so they were establishing friendship, and finally they had the courage to land on the beach. And when they did, they were trying to make contact, and eventually a couple of young people came out, two dating uh, um, uh, Alka Indians, two, two, two dating people. They were on a date. Uh, I'm, I'm embellishing a little, but that's true. And they made contact with these foreign missionaries. And as they got home, they knew they were going to, they were out too, you know, whatever. They were out too late. I don't know. Mommy was mad. Something happened that they felt like they had to lie why they had been on the beach and said that those missionaries had attacked them. And the result was all, all of these men were speared to death. That's them. Guy in the middle is the big name. Stories about him, his, uh, his thoughts about uh, serving God. Uh, what were the two books? Through Gates of Splendor is the story of the missionaries, and In the Shadow of the Almighty is the devotional book coming out of this story. I was in a store somewhere for a while. I don't remember where this was, but I was delighted to get my hands on Life magazine. 20 cents. But this was May 20th, 1957, the next year. Now, I'm going to tell you another fun pastor peeve. I'm going to show you this. Look at the cover of that. Look at that cool Air Force jet, which I don't think ever made it real big. It's called the first VertiJet. And um, I'm speaking about something pretty heavy today. And uh, what happens sometimes is, and I've had this happen to me, at the end of my message, a person will come up and say, you know, I got to fly in one of those. And my reaction is, thank you for sharing. I'm glad my uh, word of God impacted you so intensely. But anyway, moving right along. The martyrs' widows return to teach in the jungle. Page after page by the same uh, Mr. Capra, who was the photographer of the dead a year earlier, going back, following the story of two of them, Barbara Udarian, whose husband was killed, and Elizabeth Elliot, whose picture is right there. That's when she was young with their little daughter, Valerie. And I, Mr. Capper wrote the articles as well. 
Betty never doubted that she would return to Shandia after Jim's death. My heart was here with the Indians, she told me, while at the same time I wondered how I could do it. But the conviction of my heart assured me that this is where I belong. I came to Ecuador to serve the Lord, not Jim. And with him gone, my duty did not change. Whew. Probably get in trouble if I quote an old missionary friend of mine, but she knew what her duty was. And what is astounding is that she and her friend went back. Elizabeth Elliot passed away just shortly ago, 2015. Had the privilege of hearing her, being around her, having some of our people from our church connect with her. Godly, deep follower of Jesus Christ. Christian author and speaker. Her first husband, Jim Elliot, killed in 1956 trying to reach the Alka. She later spent two years as a missionary to the tribe members who killed her husband. And eventually, that's the story. Um, they were reconciled. Can you imagine? I can. Because the God that we serve is a God of reconciliation. Doesn't mean, and by the way, it doesn't mean it always works out quite so nicely. But in this case, one of the books she wrote was uh, the, kin, my, the Savage My Kinsman. That was the name of it. You know, that they had become co-heirs of the grace of God, believers in Christ, the very people who took my spouse from me were reconciled in Christ. There are not too many um, stories that are that vivid in terms of crystal clear reconciliation. Wouldn't you agree? The word reconciliation, just so you're aware, there are several variations of the word in the Greek and um, it, from different levels of intensity or finality. But the basic idea is an exchange. You know, an exchange. What I'm doing, I'm exchanging my hostility for friendship. I'm choosing to exchange what is a broken relationship to a broken, uh, to a fixed relationship. That's the idea. So moving along, let me just take that text that I said I would comment on more. And this is the main portion of the message this morning. Here's what it says in first, in second Corinthians chapter five, verse 14. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God is the initiator. Man is hostile to God. Oh, I don't feel very hostile. You're not even aware of the fact that you are. You're not even aware of it. Before I came to faith, I wasn't aware of it. I just thought I was busy having a good time and living life for myself, which we're all doing, right? And then I realized... My goodness, some of what I'm doing is hostility toward God. Didn't even realize it. So he's the one. God is the one who initiates reconciliation through Christ, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Basically, it's telling us that the Lord Jesus Christ bore our doom. 
He bore it for us. Instead of all, he's the one who died. And I mentioned that I would unpack that idea that the scripture actually said when we read it together earlier that in Christ all died and it's past tense. It's like, what? And I know when you first read that as a Christian, as a new Christian, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm alive. What on earth does that mean that all died? Well, it has to do with that imputation. It has to do with what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So let me just read a couple of theologians for you for a minute. It might be helpful in understanding it. This is, first of all, not to be misunderstood that God has reconciled everyone to himself. That means that everybody's converted, that everyone's become a Christian. That's not what it means. But what it does mean, he's rendered friendliness to himself as a possibility. He has taken away the guilt and the, and the wall between he and us so that we can move forward in reconciliation. He's available. He's available. You may not. How many times have you gotten invitations you've chosen to pass up? Right? This is one you don't want to pass up, friends. You really don't. But it's an invitation. I've taken away, look, you've offended me with this, 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 and this. I've cleaned that up. Now, do you want to come my way? Do you want to, do you want to be reconciled, right? The preaching of reconciliation is, in fact, the preaching of the cross. The death of Christ has been accepted as a payment for sin. Expiation. This is the great commentator, Charles Hodge. Of infinite value and efficacy. There's no limit to the effect of Christ's death on the cross. It covers every possible sin and distortion in the history of mankind. It's adequate to pay for it. And he has commissioned his ministers to announce to all men that God's reconciled and ready to forgive so that whosoever will may turn to him and live. Whosoever here may turn to him Amen. (laughs) The verbs in this passage, one died, all died, point back to one major event that we celebrate this Friday, but really I celebrate it all year round, don't you? The death of Christ for me and for all. In other words, all, the the penalty, payment, penalty, punishment for sin, passed on to all men in Adam and in Christ, if we've died with him, the forgiveness potential has been passed on to all men. Therefore, when Jesus died on the cross, our lives were pinned on the cross with him. So the death penalty happened then. That's why Paul can say, I died back there. 2,000 years ago, you died back there because he paid for your sins. Make sense? As t- I was sharing this with my wife last night, and she said, oh, that made sense. And it was an old-time theologian named Thomas Goodwin who said this quaintly. There are but two men standing before God, Adam and Christ. There are two men standing before God, Adam and Christ, and these two men have all other men hanging at their girdles. We don't use that anymore. It's a picture of like a hunter with all the goods on his belt. But we're all hanging on Adam's girdle. We're all in Adam, dead, 
Are you in Christ alive? If you're hanging on his belt, you got it. Okay? There are two men standing before God. (laughs) Amen. This reconciliation is for mankind, but it's also cosmic in its effects. Listen to this line. I love this one. This is from Philip Hughes in the New International Commentary on the New Testament, old version. But here's what it says. What the first Adam dragged down, the second Adam raises up. One day, everything in the world that's busted, he's going to make it new and restore it. Won't that be nice? Yeah, see, where we get messed up, though, as believers is we want it now. I want it all fixed now. You're just going to have to wait, boys and girls. <laughs> have to wait till Christmas morning. That's when it happens. But we're reconciled in Christ. The Corinthians were a difficult church. If you know anything about the New Testament, you know that the Corinthian church had issues. So when Paul says, I, I, you know, people argue about, who's he saying be reconciled to God? Isn't it the non-believer that needs to be reconciled to God? Yes. Is it also the Christian? Yes. John Calvin said uh, we need reconciliation because of our post-baptismal sins. <laughs> Don't you love that? Anybody here have post-baptismal sins? I sure do. We all do. If you don't think you do, you're self-deceived. Be reconciled to God because in, in the case with the Corinthians, he was having some tension with some of those people. You really need to listen and get reconciled with God. It's not about me, Paul, saying it's about you and, and your Savior getting it together. First and most important, reconciliation. Are you in Christ? Have you been reconciled to God? I'm asking you this morning. Have you? If you know it, praise God. Not because you think so. I feel pretty good about that. You better have more of an explanation than I feel pretty good about that. You know, we ask when we, when we share the gospel sometimes, we ask, um, if you were to die, anybody remember this old way of doing it? If you were to die today, let's say you don't make it home. And stand before God, and, he's, and he were to ask you, which, by the way, he doesn't need to ask you because he knows everything. Hello? But just want to be clear. God's smarter than us. Hello? Um, he's not, what's that? He gives you a chance to sit. <laughs> he says, why should I let you into this kingdom, a place with no sin? Why should I let you in? If you say, well, I felt really good about it. Pastor John preached such a... I felt a warm, fuzzy... Surely that's good enough. No. How do you know? Because Jesus took my penalty. I died with Christ. Now, that's a good answer. But you can't just tell him the answer because you cheated getting the answer from Hawko today. You've got to make it real for you. You receive him. Here's the issue. Christ died, we died with him, the penalty for sin's been paid, reconciliation has happened, God has reconciled the whole world to himself. You're in the class action suit. Now, do you want to cash in? That's the question. I used to describe it when leading somebody to faith. You need to get what's, there's this pile of money available, you need to get it into your account. What's your routing number? You need to do that. 
Lord, I need that in my account. It doesn't happen automatically. You need to do business with God. You need to come. Don't even leave today. Come forward and pray and do business with God and get it into your account. The gift is free for you. He loves you. Don't know how else to say it. And he doesn't just love us. He loves everybody in the world, which is why we want to do this thing. I've encouraged you about praying. Hashtag pray for one. I'm encouraging you to pray for people outside of Christ, people that you rub shoulders with, family members, uh, co-workers, neighbors, whatever. And so I got some radicals in this church here. So if you order right now, <laughs> hashtag pray for one bumper stickers. And if you're really crazy, you can try this one. I just got this this morning, or I was going to wear it and preach with it. Isn't that cool? So I, I did not make that happen. Other people did. There it is. Here's what I think about this. Here's what I think about this. Don't you think somebody might ask me, what does that mean? Oh, I'm afraid to witness. Welcome to the club. What, you think you're the only ones with hang-ups? But you know what? People are really open, if you find out about their hurts, to have you pray for them. What an open door that is. What an open door. I had a number of things. I, it's so funny. I, can, I, can I park for a second? I don't, want to, I don't want to steal from our time around the Lord's table in a minute. Uh-oh, my wife's lecturing me. I'm not parking. I'm going on. Oh, I re- oh wah. You're sticking your tongue out at me. Oh, boy. So, okay, I'll tell you real quick. So the other day, I'll take you to dinner, honey. Anyway, uh, the, the other day, so I, I, I got really, I know, I know this is hard to believe that someone like me would actually get angry. I'm joking. But, I mean, I got frustrated with something, and I was angry. And I was, oh, and I know, okay, I'm going to stop what I'm doing because this isn't good, and I need to go pray and get my truck together here. And so I start to pray. And I end up on the phone with an insurance guy that I know, and he starts talking. And by I've been working on this guy. He's got, got, a, got a Jewish background. Uh, I just love him. And he says, hey, hey John, you know, listen, I got this lady on this other phone line. He puts this lady on. She's a rabid Christian, you know, she's like, oh, we got to get this guy uh, to become a follower of Yeshua HaMashiach. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And on and on and on. And he's like, isn't she amazing? He's telling me. And I'm going, yeah, bro. I mean, come on. Like two minutes after losing it, seeking God's forgiveness. And he gives me the chance to witness to this guy again. Quit cutting yourself short. Right? Step up to the plate. All right. First and foremost issue, are you reconciled with God? Are you a believer who's been cruising, skimming, hiding? You need to be reconciled with God. You get your life back available to him. That's normal. Elizabeth Elliot, my duty didn't change just because my husband was taken from me. Didn't change. Quickly, the last two points. We are reconciled in Christ to God. 
We are reconciled in community to one another. Let me fly through this verse very quickly. Now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. That in himself, he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. Without unpacking all of those words, basically what it's saying is, in the early church, there were people from all kinds of backgrounds, including those they would consider barbarians. If you ever read any of those verses, it says, slave or free, even Scythians. Barbarians are easy compared to Scythians. You know, they were like the hardcore, really mean, nasty... Headhunter, headhunters that rode Harleys type, you know, yeah, who knows? <laughs> oh, you, oh, I'm in trouble now. <laughs> Just because I don't have one, that's all. <laughs> and God brings them together into a new community. Churches seldom get this right. The old adage is Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. Did you know that? There's something broken. Even today. But it's not just about race. I think about how, and, and it still is, I mean, that we are brothers and sisters together and manifest love toward one another. There's something screaming loudly to the world when people from every tribe, nation, and tongue can worship together and love one another, even if imperfectly. There's something really cool about that. And I think, what is the challenge for the church in the days ahead? When people will be coming, when they get converted, they get out of their opioid addictions or they move past their gender confusion or their their transgender uh, process and then they realize what has happened and they want to follow Christ. How will the church handle that? Will you love them even though they're broken and they've got they've got the, the vestigial damage they're bringing with them? I tell you, I, I, I've, I've said it before, some of the most inspiring moments of worship I've had have been with people struggling to, to get God's view of themselves right on that. I, I think it would be healthy for some of us to experience that, get out of our little Christian ghetto that we're in. Last point. There's also brother-to-brother reconciliation. Reconciliation between odd groups In one body, reconciliation to God, that's what you need and what we continually need. That's why we have this table built into the system of the church that we are continually reconciling with God. But there's one other big issue, and that's found in Matthew, the fifth chapter. If, therefore, you are presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar, go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. In other words, get it right because God's not really turned on by what you're doing. He's not excited about it. Forgiveness and grace are hallmarks of Christianity, are they not? Forgiveness and grace are hallmarks. Are you manifesting any of it? You have to ask yourself. I can't answer it for you. You have to. You remember a few years ago, a, an Amish schoolhouse was attacked? And, um, and, of course, the Amish, they're pacifists. 
I mean, they drive buggies for crying out loud, you know? And of course they're going to forgive, right? We read that. It still got people's attention. These Christians, they chose to forgive the murderer? Yes. Does it mean it's easy? Does it mean it was right? Does it mean we, we, we endorse such stupidity? Of course not. But where it really became crystal clear for me was when in June of 2015, Dylan Roof, an unrepentant racist, went in and shot and killed nine precious African-American saints in South Carolina, right, in Charleston. In the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. I wouldn't want to have to do their sign. I mean, whew. <laughs> but here's the cool part. Those brothers and sisters got the gospel. They were a civil rights group. I mean, their church was used in the civil rights movement and all of that. I mean, they're pushing Black Lives Matter. All of that was part of their inside scoop. But they went to Dylan Roof clearly and said, we forgive you. And they took heat from their colleagues and the community for forgiving them. Can you imagine? So our political issue gets more important than the words of Jesus himself. I'm sorry. When the church does that, they ought to give it up. That church did the right thing. I was so blessed by those brothers and sisters. So blessed. They took heat from the community. And so will we, so be it. Who cares? So I have some exhortations. No, I probably exhorted you already, didn't I? <laughs> Don't make the mistake that Harmony has historically, you newcomers may not know this, but of sweeping conflict under the carpet, hoping it'll go away. Oh, if we just ignore it, nothing else will happen. There's some stuff that's percolating. I, I guarantee I'm going to pop the pimple. I'm tired of screen door banging. So some of us still have wounds. We've had some rough history, maybe six years back now. We're walled in. We don't want to really trust or relieve. Or for, And by the way, there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. But we can live together in reconciliation as best as we can. doesn't mean I'm always best buddies with everybody. But I can love you. I wanted to interview, but my brother Gene uh, Bozik is sick, who was an elder here who left when the conflict happened and then came back. I couldn't resist asking him the other day, who were the first people to greet you and how did that go down? Don't you want to know? You're going to have to wait for the interview. <laughs> but one of our brothers, who was part of the conflict, came humbly and reconciled. And I was like, way to go. Wait, we need about 600% of that. Let it rip. Let it rip. We're gathering around the Lord's table here in closing. And it's a time to be reconciled to God. Make sure we're listening to him to make sure that we, uh, he's reconciled to us. Will we reconcile to him? Will we enter in? Will we get it into our account? Will we make use of it? It's up to you completely. Make up your mind if you need to be reconciled with God this morning or reconciled with brothers or sisters among you. 
Some churches used to say, you can't take communion until you reconcile right now. They would have a quiet time. I'd sit down, wait for you all to talk to each other. Can you imagine? Maybe next time. Huh? Right now. Right now. Do you really think God can bless if we ignore him on these kind of things? He can't. Speak life to each other this morning as we worship together around the Lord's table. We're going to sing. Uh, I don't know if I have time, but maybe a couple of sharings. Speak a life, a God-focused story, a word of exhortation to one another. We are here to speak life. Let's quiet our hearts for a minute. Prepare for the Lord's table together.